Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. We become one here. And last week we looked in Ephesians 4 at how we have been made one. And there was a call for, for, pe- for you, anyone, to be a part, online as well, to join. And I don't know if the word is join or, or what the word we should use. But I just know that God wants us in a church, every one of us. And you've already heard, when the day was over, over 200 people said, I want to be a part of First Orlando. And I just think that is an amazing response. We saw some of it in the room, uh, 28 online that said, we want to be a part. That's just that's mind-boggling to me, and it's so encouraging. And by the way, today, you have that same opportunity. But today, I want us to take a step further in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says we're one. He uses seven times, he uses the word one. One body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But then he says, but we're all different. And we all need each other. So this beautiful contrast that we're a part of something that only God could do. There's not another group, organization, whatever you would call it out there. With, With the differences we have, and yet God has made us one, and he's gifted us, and he's called us to one another. So in chapter 4, starting in verse 7, we're going to read how God intends for us to be the church. And he's going to tell us really two things. Number one, he gave us gifts to accomplish the mission. Okay? He gave you a gift. Yes, you have a gift. Number two, he gave us a church. He gave us each other. And the role we play is huge. So I want you to join me in the reading of Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got it on your phone or somehow on the computer if you're streaming or in the room, if you've got a a hard copy in your hands or however you got it, just go to Ephesians chapter 4 and start with me. I'm going to read in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we, <clears throat> we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself up in love. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. What an incredible word. It describes you. It describes me. And it tells me this simple thing. Number one, Jesus gave us a gift. Go back to the the verse, verse we read. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, the word grace is the word that we use sometimes for salvation. It's a, a word Paul loved. In fact, he used it 101 times in the letters of Paul. 15 of those times, he uses it not referring to the gift of salvation, but a gift that comes with salvation. Okay, just keep that in mind, a gift that comes with salvation. Each one of us has received a gift to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, that's where the salvation part is. What is Christ's gift? It's when he gave himself. Christ is the gift to every one of us. And one day, the day you believe, Jesus walked in your life. Jesus literally walked into your life. Christ came in. That's the gift. And so according to that, each one of us have been gifted. Some read into this that your gifting may not be as important as somebody else because the measure is different for you. No, it isn't. The measure is the same. Jesus. Anybody in this room want to look at Jesus today and say, you're insufficient. You didn't give me enough. No, he's sufficient. And he gave you everything you need to accomplish the mission of the church. And he gave you everything you need to be who he created you to be. So he is the one who gifts us. Now, watch this. He says that when, and it gets complicated, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. There it is. That is a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18. It's not unusual for Paul to quote the Old Testament. But this one is very different. In fact, he does something here. I don't think there's another time in all of Paul's writings that he actually does this. And it just, I'm I'm telling you, in the past few weeks, this has come alive in my heart. And it has really, really challenged me, even in my own walk with Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go to Psalm 68. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Receiving gifts among men. Okay, so in the Psalm, who's receiving the gifts? God or Jesus, right? Paul turns it around and he says, no, we're receiving the gifts. And so you, well, why would he do that? Because of the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He tells us a story in these verses how Jesus descended to the lower parts. Let's go put that verse up. Grace was given, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, go to the next part of that, where it talks about him descending. 
Notice the parentheses. Now that's not Paul. Paul didn't know about parentheses. That's the ESV translator saying this was a thought that he wrote down to help us understand what he just said. And look at this. This is amazing to me. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, comma, the earth. The definition of lower regions is the earth. This is not the passage where it talks about him going into hell to preach to the, the, the spirits in prison. That is a passage in the New Testament. It's just not this one. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And you're like, man, what, what's going on? Here's what's going on. Paul just told you the story of your salvation. Jesus left heaven and descended to this earth. And he destroyed the enemy that held us captive. He destroyed the, the one of darkness that had us in the dominion of darkness. And he delivered us and he took us captive for himself. And so now he has taken, a, taken us captive. And he has ascended. And in doing so, he gave us gifts. Every one of us a gift. So the story of our salvation is told in this. Jesus came to earth. Why? For you. And he defeated your enemy. And he took you captive. You once were captive to him. Now you are captive to Jesus Christ. And this train, this, this picture of the triumphant king, it is a picture that you and I are a part of. Let me show you what Piper when he, there's books written on this passage because of the intricacies of it, but the power of it. This is what Piper said. Christ rose from the dead, ascended to the heavens like a triumphant general, with his wagons full of treasure, ready to distribute it to his troops. Who are the troops? We are. So I want you to see a king leading a giant parade. That's the best way for us to kind of connect with this. A giant parade. In all of his glory and all of his splendor. And who's behind him? Those who are a part of his kingdom. Those that he has taken captive. And we are a part now because of what he did for us. That's why Paul, his favorite word to describe himself, doulos is the Greek, bond servant, slave. You see, Paul saw himself as a slave to that king. Paul knew he no longer served another king. He served the king, Jesus, and he saw himself as a slave. Why does the scripture say we are not our own? We've been bought with a price because that's exactly what he came to do. He came to buy us. He came to capture us. And so now we are his. Paul also wrote we are not our own. We have been bought. That's exactly what's on my ring. My wife gave me this as a gift and inscribed on it in Greek is simply the words, not your own. Now, she gave it to me, and I think she was referring to Jesus. There might be an underlying message in there. You are not your own. But either one works for me. I like either one of them. But the point is, you've got to see this. Jesus came for you, and he came to defeat the enemy that held you. You were serving another king, and you didn't think or know but you were serving a king of darkness and he came and delivered you into a kingdom of light. And he has called you to follow him. 
And now you, along with me and the church, is marching triumphantly behind this king. And we have pledged our loyalty and we've said, no, that's our king. That's the king I'm following. And that's the king that I owe my life to. That's the picture of this text. Let's give him praise for that. Just thank him for that. So for us, how do you identify with this king? I'll give you the one thing. We were in Thailand once on a mission trip, and everybody there seemed like they had yellow on. And so I thought, I thought at first it was a school group, an outing. You know, like whenever you see them at the mall, Millennium Mall, they'll all have green and yellow. They're from Brazil. I mean, that's your first thought, right? Well, I thought all these people were a part of a, a school. Then I realized, no, no, it's not a school. It's everybody has yellow. You know what it was? The king of Thailand at that time, his favorite color was yellow. And one day a week, they would wear the color of their king to honor the king. Well, let me tell you what the color of our king is. When you walk in the water and say, Jesus is Lord, and you are baptized, identifying yourself with him, and then raised to new life in Christ, you have just said, I'm in that parade, I'm in that army, I belong to that king. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been baptized. Some of you haven't taken that step. That's why the Bible doesn't even talk about a Christian who's not baptized. Why would you not want to identify with that king? Why would you not want to say, I belong to him. He came to, to, to earth to save me. And I'm following him the rest of my days. So baptism matters. And today there's an opportunity for you to be baptized. And to take that step. Did you know in Muslim countries... I was with somebody this week, and they, uh, they grew up in a country that a lot of Muslim influence. In Muslim countries, you can walk around saying you're a Christian all, the, all day, and it's no problem. You can even say, I'm a Baptist, and it's no problem. But once you're baptized, then you're threatened. Once you're baptized, then you're in danger. Because they know baptism is when you say, I am living for another king. And I just want to encourage you, if you have never said to your king, I belong to you, if you've never said to the world around you, I belong to that king, there's a way today. You can do that. We've got clothes. We've got everything you need. At the end of the service, we're going to celebrate that. And we're going to do it in the courtyard. Thank God for a warm day. Warmer. At least warmer, right? But it, water's warmed out there. We've got a heater. Don't worry about it. It's all good. So here's what I want you to know first. Jesus gave his church gifts. We have everything we need. We have been given all we need to accomplish the mission of making disciples of all people for the glory of the king. You have everything you need. You're in that triumphant train. You're walking and you're saying, man, I'm his. I belong to him. And he's got you. And he wants to use you. Now, the second thing, he gave us each other. He gave us a church. So let's, let's go to the next verse, because it, it, it doesn't make sense unless you're thinking that Paul is describing something. He is. He's describing our church. He's describing every church. This is what he says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You realize he gave us each other to help us do the work of ministry. And among us are leaders that I believe he has given the gift of apostleship, prophecy, 
evangelism, shepherds, and teachers. These are not mentioned because they are favored by God more than other gifts. They're mentioned because they function differently. They help the body of Christ accomplish the mission. Apostles, now back in the day, the first use of the word apostle was used for someone who had seen Jesus. They had physically seen him. I don't think that use is still around. I don't think anybody is around that has seen him unless you came in this morning and I didn't catch you. It is impossible to have seen him in the flesh while he walked on this earth, right? So that use of the word is changed. But there's another use of the word that is the gifting of the Spirit. And by the way, I just go ahead and tell you, I don't believe the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. I'm not what they call a cessationist. I'll fight that all day long. I'll go the mat every day because I think the Scripture teaches the gifts are operating in the body of Christ. And this, this wouldn't even make sense if they weren't operating. So what I mean by that is there's a gift of apostleship. Who is that? It's probably someone who is sent, has this idea of wanting to go plant a church. You know, we're looking and dreaming about some, some campuses that we're going to continue to look at opportunities to have a campus somewhere or even a church to plant. We'll probably be led in those by those who have the gift of apostleship. Prophets, those are those who speak the truth. They're not just those who foretell the future. A lot of people see that as someone who predicts. Well, there's an element of that, but they're a lot more common in the New Testament of prophets who are speaking the truth into a moment. They see things clearly and what God would say. Evangelists, it's what you would think. They help us learn how to share the gospel. They help remind us that we are to share the gospel, and that is what they do for us in the body. And then shepherds and teachers, that's one of the gifts that I identify with. Those are those who care for our soul and teach us from God's Word. Now, what are these leaders doing? They're helping us to be who we're supposed to be. They're helping us to do the work of ministry. Now, I grew up in a church. And I pastored churches, I hate to tell you. They thought the preachers were the hired guns. Well, you just get more staff. The staff's supposed to do the work. They're supposed to be doing ministry out there. And if they're not doing ministry, well, then we won't pay them. That has been an attitude that has prevailed in a lot of evangelical churches. That has never been taught in Scripture. There was no separation of clergy and laity in Scripture. In Scripture, we are one body, one Lord, one faith. We work together to accomplish the mission. We, as a leader, and I'm referring to myself, my goal is to help you to do the work of ministry, to help you be the best you can be. And that's why leadership exists here. That's why we have places you can go and learn and, and, and classes that you can be a part of. Why? We want to release what God has given you because we know that God has called you. We know God has given you a gift. Jesus told us that. That's what we just learned. So we have leadership. We need each other to know how to use that. You know what else? We need each other to help us build each other up. We have literally been given to one another to build one another up. Look at this. The next part, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, our goal is to build one another up and build toward unity in who we cheer for for Super Bowl? No. Unity in 
who we think ought to be elected? No. Unity of the, say it with me, faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. So one of the things we do for each other is just encourage one another to build one another up toward that. He also gave us one another to help us become like him. This is the one that's mystifying to people. Did you know people around you, people in your life group, in your small group, people that sit in a room like this at a church where you call home, did you know they help you to become more like Jesus? They are here to help. We're here to help one another become more like Jesus. Let me show you this part of the verse. We are to build one another up until we attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, in building one another up, in being together, and being connected to a church, we have each other. Iron sharpens iron. One person sharpens another. And it helps us to become more like him. I think one of the greatest ways to demonstrate that is in baptism. It's my desire and it's my goal and it's our goal that every time somebody's baptized, there's someone in the water with them. Because somebody, God used somebody, and I, I hate to pick on anybody, but right down here, about three or four rows back, are two guys that are dear friends of mine. Gary Clark, Durwood Day. Durwood Day is a guide on Lake Toho. And that fish I showed you a picture of the other day, I was with them when I caught that fish. And you say, where'd you catch it? I'll tell you exactly where I caught that fish. It was right here. <laughs> Got him right there. Am I right, Derwood? That's where it was, wasn't it? Yes. Seriously. Did you know that Gary's influence on Derwood brought Derwood to the place of saying, you know what? I need to follow Christ. I need to be baptized. Now, we had a choice. We could throw him out of the boat in Lake Toho and call it a baptism or come here. So the day he was baptized, you saw Gary in the water with Derwood. Why? Because Derwood had helped, Gary had helped Derwood become more like Christ. Let me show you another one. This is a picture from a couple of weeks ago. This is one of my favorite pictures because it shows one of our leaders in student ministry. Her name is Jennifer. And she is standing there with Shana and baptizing her. Why? Because that's who God used to help Shana take that step to become more like Jesus. I just feel like that every time there's a baptism, somebody ought to be in the water with you. And I, I want you to be available even today. You may be sitting here going, you know what? I'd do it if I had somebody. Well, ask them. And if you're afraid to ask them, tell me. I'll go ask them for you. Or maybe you're sitting here going, you know what? I'd love to be there with them. Let me ask them if they would consider being baptized if I was going to be the one right there by their side. Because that's how God works. He uses us to help us become more like Christ. We need each other. In fact, I'll tell you this. I, I, I debated on whether saying this. If you're not connected to a church, now there are a lot of great churches, okay? I'm a little biased, okay? I'll be honest. There are a lot of great churches. But if you're a follower of Christ and you're not connected to a local church, you're never going to grow into the stature of Christ. You're never going to reach that place 
of maturity. Why? Because it takes people around you called the body of Christ to help you be everything that he purposed you to be. And notice, as we go back to the verse, put the verse back up there. Notice that we are to protect one another. As we're growing, we ought to grow up, and we ought to grow up to maturity. And by the way, that maturity looks like Jesus, not like what they say about us on social media. Can I get an amen? It looks like Jesus. And the point is, don't try to please somebody in your world. Try to please the only one who came from heaven to earth to, to save you. That's all you need to do. That's who the measurement is. That's the standard, the gold standard. It's Jesus. So we're doing everything we can to do what he would do and to look like him. And we need each other to protect one another because we know what's out there. Look how he says it. So that we are no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So one of the reasons you, we need each other is to protect one another. Because sometimes you get to watching something, reading something, or you're on a stream, or you whatever, and, and, and there's some thoughts that come into your mind, you're not sure. And let me tell you how he describes them. Paul says, be careful of human cunning. It's not a good word craftiness, deceitful schemes. Paul just stacked a bunch of words up because he said you need people in your life to protect you so that you're not just following one influence after another. You're not just on one wave after another. There are a lot of waves out there. You can read a lot of stuff about Jesus online. You can read a lot of stuff about this church online. But I beg you, in the name of Jesus, Follow what you know is the truth and make sure, and look how he puts it, rather speaking the truth in love. You know what's amazing about that? The word truth is not a noun, it's a verb. In that reference, it's a verb. You would think he's referring to a set of rules or a set of regulations. Nope. He's referring to the way you live your life. You ought to live your life as truth in love. The way you live, the way you speak, the way you encounter people, the way you encourage people, you ought to live it that way in love because that's how you're going to have the most effect on people and you're going to help them grow up. I just love the fact that he wants us to grow up. You know, having grandchildren has reminded Rachel and I of a lot of things. We, we were reminded that God gives you children when you're young and have energy. And when you get old and you don't have energy, you have grandchildren. But the beautiful thing about that is you just make one call and they go home with mom and dad, right? <laughs> and so we've also learned this. Children sometimes can be very selfish. Am I right? It's all about me, mine. You, if you've had children, remember when they started fighting over a toy or fighting over something? I mean, I, Sawyer, he's, he's our grandson. He turned five yesterday. So he, hey, he is five years old. He loves to fight. He loves to jump on top of me, his daddy, and, and it's great. 
And so when he comes in, I mean, even last night, I went in to see him just for a minute, and he had Godzilla and King Kong on the table. And I picked up King Kong looking at him, and he said, come on, let's fight. And he grabbed Godzilla, and we went at it. You remember those old movies? Okay, he watches them. So here we are, a five-year-old and a 65-year-old. And we love it. But you know, I don't really think it's appropriate for me to be fighting deacons. I'm not sure we're supposed to jump on one another. Why? Because we're not children. At some point, we grow up. Every time we have a family dedication, there are parents that are going, I hope my baby doesn't cry. I hope they don't. It's okay if they cry. They're a baby. If they're a teacher in a life group, that's a little different, but they're a baby, <laughs> right? Guys, we're not here to babysit children. We're here to grow up. And you know who we're supposed to grow up into? Him. So as we grow, as we encourage one another, we grow up and we look a lot more like him. And at the end of the day, you know what the result is? The last word in these verses we read. What's the last word? Here it is. I'll show it to you. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up, say it with me, in love. So if you want to know how well a church is doing, is there love there? Do you feel that love? Because if everybody's doing their part, there will be love there. But if not everybody's doing their part, no, it's not going to look healthy. It's not going to be healthy. Let me just take you back in my memory of my life. I spent a lot of time on these. Not these, because these are for a fifth grader, not for an adult man here. I spent more time on crutches. I was always getting hurt. Broke my leg, messed up my knee, messed up ankles, and I wouldn't quit. I kept playing, and I kept hurting things, and then I got hurt doing stupid things we won't talk about. But anyway, <laughs> I hate crutches. Because you know what it says? You're not healthy. I just think a goal for a church is to get rid of the crutches. We don't have to limp. If everybody's doing their part, there's love. If everybody recognizes they're gifted by Jesus and they need the people around them and we need them, man, it works beautifully. I can remember falling back, going upstairs. I remember falling back and a friend caught me or I would, it would have been a bad fall. I can remember falling, going forward, downstairs. Remember in college, I was on crutches for a long time and I'd carry all my books in my backpack and I was so tired. I just don't want to be a part of a church that has to limp along. When everybody's doing their part, it's beautiful. And you know what's even greater? It's glorious to Him. It's a beautiful reflection to God in this community. And it's attractive. Let me show you what my friend David Platt said. God's glory is most majestically displayed, not through you or through me. Say it with me. But through us. That gives him great glory. So today, I want us to do something. I want you to be willing to take a step and say, you know what? I know who my king is. My king is Jesus. And I'm a part of that 
parade of captives called the church. I'm a part of them. I'm, I'm one of them, and I'm not ashamed of that. And if you would like to identify and say, hey, I want to be a part here just like we did last week, you can do that. But I want to ask you, are you willing to follow Christ and be baptized? Are you willing to take the step to say, you know what? I'm never going to be ashamed of what he did for me. He came from heaven to earth to save me. And the least I can do is get in water and be identified with him going under the water and being raised. That's, that's easy. I want the world to know I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And I, I think today could be a day we step a lot closer into being the body that he intended for us to be. So in just a second, I want you to have the opportunity today, now. And if you're streaming, if you're watching on TV, you pray with us right now that God will be glorified in this body called First Orlando. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for this moment, and I pray that you will speak and that you will draw. And Lord, we know what you did to save us. We know you left heaven and came to this earth. And you gave us gifts, and Lord, we need each other. So today, I pray we make it clear. We're willing to be that church. We're willing to be your followers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.